second part of freedom, our second installment, we're calling the sermon series Freedom. I want you to be free from the burden of money. Would you be free? Go to bed free, wake up free, not worrying about it, but um, having a handle on it. Amen? Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to read a pretty famous parable from Matthew chapter 25. We're going to talk about ownership and stewardship today. Matthew chapter 25, you can read off the screen. You can get it on the phone. Uh, You can go to the Bible app and look at events and find us there. Or you can also go to our Hope Community Church app on your phone and find the notes there as well. Say amen if you're ready. Matthew chapter 25, we'll start verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more saying, master, you delivered to me five talents here. I made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, and he also who had the two talents came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Look at your neighbor and said, here's where it gets good. He who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father, we thank you today for your word. Lord, we pray, God, that what you've entrusted us to, we'd have the right mindset about it. God, we pray that in your return, you'd find us having multiplied what you gave us. Thank you for the opportunity. In Jesus' name, we pray and everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, there are 
what we call five discourses, five lengthy teachings that Matthew records. They are um, they're kind of separated like this, a Sermon on the Mount, which you get the Beatitudes from, that's chapters 5 and 7. Blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. In chapter 10, you have a lengthy teach of the commissioning of the apostles in chapter 10. In chapter 13 of Matthew, you, you have Jesus teaching about parables of the kingdom. In chapter 18, he's teaching about childlikeness of the believers. Now, these are long discourses Jesus is teaching. And the last one in chapter 24 and 25 is called the, the teaching on the second coming, or we refer to it also as the Olivet Discourse, which is because Jesus was on the Mount of Olives teaching it. Now, the reason this is important is because we're reading about something that seems to do with having a lot to do with how to handle money, but it's, it's actually how to be prepared for the second coming of Christ. It's stuck in the teaching about the second coming of Christ. It's not stuck in the teaching about how to get a return on your investments. So we have to think about the context of what we're talking about up front. Are we talking about how to handle money and how to handle things that are entrusted to us? Absolutely. But why are we talking about that? Because Jesus is coming. Amen? And so Jesus teaches this parable in the context of talking about his return. It makes total sense in, the light, in that light because the master goes away for a long time and then comes back. You have two of the men who were entrusted talents excited for his return and one afraid. Hmm. It reminds me of when I was a kid. Uh, I grew up in church. When I was a kid, I remember um, the seasoned saints uh, would pray for a long, long, you know, we'd, we'd have Sunday night church. Anybody remember Sunday night church? At Sunday night church. And after every, at Sunday night, after the pastor got done preaching, he would say, just come up to the altar and pray. Now, we had a thing at our church that they called it the altar. It was like a little half rail in the front of the church. And it would say, come up to the altar and pray. And everybody would come up to the front and kneel down on that altar or that half rail, if you want to call it that, or, or the, turn around your seat and pray. And I remember people when I was a kid who were in their 80s, and they would pray, Lord, come quickly. And I used to think, man, I don't know if that's a good idea. You know what I'm saying? You know, stuff you're thinking about when you're 12. I used to think, how do they, these people are praying for Jesus to return. I don't even have a driver's license. I haven't gotten married yet. I haven't done hardly anything fun. But they're praying for the return. Of, like they want it to happen. And I thought, okay, they're prepared for the return of Christ. That's a different deal than trying to negotiate when he's going to show up. They're prepared for the return of Christ. So they, so what God had entrusted to them, they were confident in his return and, and them saying, Hey Lord, look what we did. Look what we, look what we got in return. So we got to think about that parable in that context. 
that Jesus ascended into heaven. We just walked through Easter and all that stuff, talking about that nonstop. Jesus ascended into heaven and, he, and the angels looked at the apostles and said, hey, listen, the same Jesus that went up will return the same way. Now we get to the end of, now we come to the end of Matthew. They're not chronologically different. Jesus is teaching this before he ascends into heaven. But we find Jesus teaching about, hey, the master's going to go away. And when he comes back, there's an expectation that you have done something with what he entrusted to you. Amen. Two of them are happy about his return. One of them is not so much. So you get the naysayers that are like, well, I mean, he's gone 2,000 years, really? Well, my advice would be this. He's a lot closer today than he was 100 years ago. So whether, whether the bank account is checked on our last breath or the return of Christ, soon there's going to be a reckoning. Amen? And this parable teaches us that the master who goes away has entrusted us with some things that he's expecting us to multiply. He's expecting us to multiply. So there's two concepts I want to talk about this morning. One is stewardship and one is ownership. And most of the time in church, in in church uh, context and in this parable, we talk about things that we have in in the stewardship context. And you'll hear people say, well, you don't own anything. And I'm like, come try to take it. We'll see who owns it. But actually, that's, that's, that's pretty much true. At the best, you're managing things while you're here. I mean, come on. If you lived to 100 years old, that's in a long time. But in the scope of how long people have been on the planet, that's a blip. So what are we going to get? 80, 90 a hundred years. I remember uh, reading an interview with a lady who had lived to 116. She was in the United States, lived to 116. I think she was the oldest person uh, alive in the United States at that point in time. And they interviewed her and, and they always asked people that live that old, what's your secret? And to their shock, she said, there is no secret. I don't want to be alive anymore. This is awful. She's 116 years old. She was like, anytime, please. I can't die. But at best, 80, 90 years. So we understand then the concept of just managing things for a period of time. Whatever we have today, whatever we are given, whatever we are allowed to earn and whatever we are allowed to manage, it fits into this parable of the master entrusting people with things. So let's break it down. So the master decides he's going to go away. He's got three servants and he determined, he determined the capacity of those three servants. Now, now listen to me. He had figured out what their current capacity was for management. And it was all different. So So I know we're in the age of everybody has to be equal. I know we live in that age where nobody can, nobody should have more than anybody else. We should all be equal, but even scripture doesn't back that up. So 
some people naturally can manage more right from the beginning. I'm okay with that. Amen? Some people can manage a little less from the beginning and some people even less from the beginning. That's the starting point. All right? So the master gets ready to go away and he brings three servants in and he says, hey, listen, I'm going to give you five, you two, and you one because I've, I've, I've kind of watched your ability. Now, what you don't see there, there's no recording of the three of them fighting over it. Like, man, it was so unfair. You got five and I only got one. There's no record of them fighting over it. The master had the ability to to determine the capacity of the people he was entrusting his stuff to. That's why some of you made the certain child the executor of the estate. Ah. I don't want to get into that. Ooh, I just started a lot of fights in here. So starting capacity. Starting capacity. You know what we fight over more starting capacity? Which is just a starting point. Can I, can I equate this to a race? You ever watch an Olympic race where they run around the track over and over and over again? The first time you watch that, did you ever wonder... Why do they start the one person so much farther back than everybody else? Well, that's not fair. They should start everybody on the same line. Well, the truth of the matter is the person on the inside doesn't have to run as far. So guess what? They start out a little bit behind. It's just what happens. Everybody starts out a little bit different. Nobody starts out equal. Amen. Can we just all be happy about that? So if you see somebody that has a little more capacity than you, don't be jealous or envious. That's sin. Good for you, man. Good for you. They may just pay their bills on time. Hey, can we start there? So five, two, and one, the master decided the capacity. He calls them to steward what he has given them. Now, uh, Dave Ramsey, I've heard Dave Ramsey said that was equivalent to like a million dollars. One talent would be like equivalent to a million dollars a day. I don't know if you can really, I did some studying on that. I don't know if you could really technically count the crypto market is down. I don't know if we can really determine how much it's worth today, you know. It's a pile of money. So think about this. The person who only got one still got a pile of money. The person that got two, doing pretty well. The person that got five, killing it. But don't begrudge the person that got five because the person that got one still got a lot. Jesus is not in the business of shorthanding his people. He didn't give one five and one half of a half of a half a half of one. He's in the business of blessing his people. Amen. And what he offers us from the beginning is more than any of us deserve. Some of you convinced of that. Some of you are like, no, I mean, I had it coming. 
What he entrusts us in the beginning. Now, can I just make another observation? He's entrusting his stuff to servants. Not siblings and not children. There is a defining line here that, that he's not just giving it to family and saying, man, because you're family. He's entrusting it to servants. That may be a stretch right from the beginning. There is nothing in us that made us acceptable to God except Jesus. It was his choice because he loved us so much. He came to earth and died for us and laid down his life for us. We don't have the ability to look back up at him now and go, hey, you owe us something. So um, starts out with a starting capacity, a starting capacity. Look at your neighbor and say, everybody's got, you got a starting capacity. Tell them you got a starting capacity. It's just where you start from. It's not where you're going to end up. It's just where you start. Some of you may be one, some two, some five. It's just where you start. Got a capacity. So the master goes away and we find out he goes away for a long time. Long time. So what's the guy with five do? Runs out, figures it out. There is no indication that he had a business degree or, or a master's degree in economics. There's no indication of that. that he just, but, but there is an indication that he somehow, somehow, done, there's no explicit instruction that we, that we know is recorded. Somehow he takes the five and doubles it. That's a good deal. How many of you would like your kids? <laughs> Give them 10 bucks. And when they come back at the end of the day, they bring you 20. I said, that's my son. First of all, I said, no parent ever. Oh, you lost that 10 and you need another. Okay, I said, I was, I was working. That's why we're going to give the money to somebody else. figures out how to double it. The guy with two figures out how to double it. And then you got the guy with one. Stewardship. All that we have is God's. I agree with that statement. You find that other place in scripture, Psalm 24, one, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Or you could say the earth is the Lord's and all that fills it is his. The world and those who dwell therein, it's his. The Bible teaches us that we were bought with a price, that, it, that, that Jesus died on the cross and he paid the penalty for you. So that means we were purchased by Jesus's death. So you are not your own, the Bible teaches us. So if I'm not even my own, everything I have is not my own. I am at best stewarding what I have. Now that doesn't mean you don't enjoy it. There is no reason to walk around with a nice car going, oh, well, you know, I hate that thing. You know, I just made business sense to buy it, but who enjoys air-conditioned seats? Do you know what I'm saying? There's no part of God entrusting you with nice stuff that you should walk around sad about it. You should be thankful. 
Amen? Can somebody be thankful? Amen. It's God's stuff, but God's got nice stuff. And he entrusts us with it. For like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Nothing in our lives is permanent. We're moving through and at best we are stewards of what we have while we're here. The amount you're stewarding is dependent always upon your capacity. Oh. The amount, what this parable teaches us is the amount we are stewarding is dependent upon our capacity. He said, according to their capacity, he gave them the talents. To one, he gave five talents to another two and to another one, each according to his ability. It wasn't a random draw the straw. You get five, you get one and I'm just a meanie and you're going to get two. No, it was according to their ability. So my mind starts ticking along this way. There's initial capacity and then there's built capacity. Oh, wait a second. According to my ability, my ability, that means it's something that I have an impact on. I can increase my ability. Amen. Amen? I can increase my ability. It's the part that I'm responsible for. That means part of me being entrusted more is solely based on me having more ability. Now, can we just be honest for a second? Some people were born with more ability and we all hate them. No, we don't. Here's what I figured out over the last 20 years. If that person has more ability than me, then it means I could get more ability. It means there's room for me to grow. It doesn't mean I should be jealous of them. It doesn't mean that I should be envious of them. That's sin. It means I should get around them and go, hey, bro, how did you do that? I saw a $10 bill in your pocket and now you've got a $20 bill in your pocket. You doubled your money. Mine just keeps disappearing. So what do I got to do? I got to change my ability. Amen. Now here's the issue. Nowhere in this parable does it say the master changed their ability. Nowhere in the parable. The master wasn't even there. It was their responsibility. So there's initial capacity and there's a built capacity. And what my, my prayer for every person sitting in the sound of my voice is that when, as we're walking through these small groups and we're walking through these sermon series is that your capacity goes up. Wouldn't that be nice? Your capacity goes up. Here's one simple way my capacity went up. I determined I was going to hang around people that made more money than me. That's a no brainer. And at the time I determined that there was a lot of people who made more money than me. Yeah. Some teenagers made more money than me. And I was like, I'm going to figure out they think different. They own their own business. They, they think different. I, I just need to get around some people that and so God put us in some circumstances with different things. And I started, the last thing I was, was jealous. 
Because jealous will keep you from hearing what other people have to tell you. Envy will keep you. You'll want what they have, but won't be able to listen to what they say. Mm. Envy and jealousy will block you increasing your ability. You'll always say, well, they didn't earn it. They didn't get, they didn't do this. They they don't deserve that. Well, who am I to determine that? All I know is their capacity is higher than mine. So why, if I wanted to increase my capacity, why would I listen to people with the same capacity? Hey, there's a hole in the boat and all of us are in the same boat. Maybe we should call another boat over without a hole in it. That's a novel idea, isn't it? But here's what we do. We get in financial trouble and we turn around and we look for somebody else in financial trouble. Maybe we go, hey man, I know it's so tough. I know we've been struggling too. Let's get together and struggle together. That makes total sense, doesn't it? Yeah, let's, if we're going to go down, we're going to be holding hands. Can I tell you this? There is no honor in going down with the ship. Not when people are throwing lifelines over the side. So, I may be reading into this a little bit, but I think the guy with five and the guy with two went, hey, we got to take this serious. And I'm going to go figure out how to double this thing. It doesn't say from the beginning that he necessarily knew all the ins and the outs. It said that it said that the master looked at his ability and went, I think I could trust this guy with five. And so, so between the masters leaving and returning, he had figured out enough through whatever means he needed necessary to figure it out and figured out how to double it. Now, to be honest with you, 50% return over a long period of time. I mean, that's a little, it's a little weak, but for the sake of the parable, we'll just go with it. Compounding interest, right? You should. So, there's a starting capacity and there's a built capacity. And what we're finding out from this parable is that you're responsible for building the capacity. The capacity you start out with, that's fine. The way you were raised, the way you were taught, taught to think about money, your, your, your natural bent towards things, that, that's, all, that's all fine. But there's no part where God leaves you where you started. There's no part of your life where God leaves you where you started. Not in relationships, not in intellect, not in emotions, and definitely not in finances. Because there's easy principles that you can figure out just by talking to somebody that knows. Joining a connect group, hanging around somebody that does, has a bigger capacity. It's that, it's literally that simple. So, Starting capacity and then building a capacity. So well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. What does that mean? It means that their capacity started out here, but then when the master returned, their capacity had increased to the point. Now, I'm going to fast forward a little bit. Watch this. The guy with five turned it into ten. But his capacity had increased to the point where he took the one from the lazy one and gave it to him. So you thought he had a 10 capacity, but really he had an 11. Amen? So it's our responsibility to build the capacity. Can I say this? 
The lottery is not your capacity builder. I know that's not true from the one that said it. The racetrack is not your capacity builder. For those of you watching online, we got one close. Listen to this, 2019 Washington Post article. When it, this is a quote. When the team of economists, when a team of economists tracked the fortunes of financially distressed people in Florida who had won the lottery, they found that within three to five years, the winners of big prizes. Now, when I say big prizes, they said between $50,000 and $150,000. I ain't playing the lottery for $150,000, I'll tell you that. Like, we don't even think about it until so it gets to a billion. <laughs> The winners of big prizes were equally likely to have filed for bankruptcy as the small winners. And the groups had similarly low savings and levels of debt. According to the National Endowment for Financial Education, about 70% of people who win a lottery or receive a large windfall go bankrupt within a few years. You know what I was always told? People with money problems, when they get more money, they have more problems. Amen? If you have relationship problems, get more relationships, you will have more problems. Amen? If you have kid problems, just somewhere that analogy breaks down. (laughs) We'll just have another one, see if he'll turn out. Can I tell you this? The world is full of get-rich-quick schemes that don't require you to increase your capacity. God cares about you more than that. He cares about you more than that. He wants you to increase your capacity to have an impact on the people around you, not get rich quick and blow it all. He wants you to have a mark on your generation for the kingdom of God, not sitting around waiting to hit a number. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. If you've done your every dollar budget and, and, you, and, and you put away $30 a month to buy lottery tickets, you're not going to hell for that. I don't even care. But don't plan on it for an, an inheritance to your children. Dad bought a, re, a lottery ticket every week and he didn't make it, so you're getting nothing. <laughs> How about dad keep the lottery money and just give that to us at the end? Increase our capacity. The parable is about two people who increased their capacity while the master was gone and they were rewarded for it. We can't, we can't hope for a reward. This is not prosperity gospel. This is not get in trouble and just hope and wish and pray the Lord delivers you from it over and over again. This is not a cycle. This is not a, this is not a, I'm going to just have faith and believe and God's going to bless me. I'm going to, that's not what this is. There is no such thing in scripture. When the, when Jesus starts talking about be ready for the return of Christ, be ready for my return. He says, you better have multiplied what I gave you. That's not wishful thinking. That's not hoping. And so that leads me to the, to the second part of this. So there's a stewardship part, but then we leave out something extremely important. 
the ownership part. We forget that we are owners of a portion of this. We're stewards of the material things that God gives us, but we're owners of his, of the responsibility to manage it. Now, let me, let me show you in this parable why this is so important. Because the prosperity gospel will keep you from owning it. The prosperity gospel will tell you when you run out, just pray and God will give you more. If I want it, I'll just pray and do the right thing and God will just give me more. If I want it, I'll just have faith and I will walk up to the jewelry counter and I, in the name of Jesus, I want the big one. Doesn't even make any sense. There's mystical new age theology called the law of attraction where walk into the Mercedes dealership and tell them you want the most expensive and the universal wrap its arms around you and snuggle you and just give it to you. That ain't true. I stood in a lot of those dealerships. No, I haven't. It's not true. Prosperity gospel strips you of the ownership of your responsibility. It's a get rich quick scheme. I can solve everything if I just get more stuff. And really this parable teaches us that you got to own the responsibility for what God gave you. You got to own it. You got to wake up in the morning with the weight of the responsibility that he's entrusted me with these finances, with this marriage, with this house, with these kids. He's entrusted me with all of this stuff with this job, with my neighbors, with all of these things he's entrusted me. So how's it pan out? Watch this. He had received the one talent, came forward. So we already talked about the guy that got five, turned it into 10. He owned, the, he owned it. This is my responsibility. I'm going to increase my capacity and I'm going to have the master return when he gets back. And we find out that he said, man, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been, you've been steward over a little bit and I'm going to make you ruler over much. This is a good deal. We find out that he gets 11 instead of just 10. That's a good deal. The same way for the guy that has two. He doubles it. Two to four. Yeah. He took ownership of it, increased capacity. Now let's read the last one. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, can you hear his little whiny voice? Master, I knew you'd be a hard man. Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Ooh, this is a real devil. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Like every sensible, rational person would bury a lot of money in their backyard. I hope you're not doing that. Here, you have what's yours. But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Now, can I, can I point something out to you? If Jesus is talking about the second coming of himself, being prepared for the return of him, the master, don't get confused with this next couple statements. Because there's, a, there's an accusation from the guy who didn't increase his talent. 
Because people that don't take ownership will blame other things and other people a lot of times. Mm. Well, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It was their fault. I got a bad boss. I had bad parents. I had a bad job. I had a bad this. I had a bad wife. I had a bad husband. I had a bad, I had a bad, I had a bad, blah, 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 blah. So watch, watch what happens. He levels an accusation at the master and he says, you, you reaped where you didn't sow. You took stuff that wasn't yours. Okay, now if you're not careful, you're gonna read this next couple of statements the wrong way. Now watch, accusation has been leveled. I didn't get, I was afraid and I didn't do anything. I didn't increase my capacity. I went, and, I went and hung out the club, buried the money, didn't do anything with my life. It was over, whatever. Okay, watch this. Put that next verse up. That one. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew, watch this. I'm going to read this two ways to you. I'm going to read this two ways. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. But the problem is, that's not the punctuation at the end of the sentence. It's not an exclamation point or a period. It's a question mark. It's a rhetorical question. Jesus isn't a cheat. What does he say? You knew. Well, if you knew that I gathered where I had to reap, if you knew all this, Mr. Smarty Pants, If you knew all this, you should have at least put it in the bank. The master turns around him and says, hey, listen, ain't none of that true. But even if it was, you could have done more than you did. It makes me think back to the old people praying when I was a kid. And how confident and excited they were for the return of Christ because they knew they had increased their capacity and were longing for him to return. And there was the little 12-year-old me like, I can't remember if I cussed the day or not. I don't know. God's mean and he's going to kill me. If you're at a place now where you're questioning whether God is for you, your capacity hasn't went up. If you're sitting around going, well, God did this and God did that, God did this. That's not the place we want to be expecting the return of Christ. You see, this story creates a juxtaposition between two people who were prepared and took what they were given, their initial capacity, they increased it. And when the master returned, they were like, man, we are glad you're here. And then another person, because they refused to handle what the master had given them, blames the master. Well, the master says, even if that was true, which it ain't, he could have done something. So he takes it away from him. Then we have the whole weeping and gnashing of teeth thing. He gives it to the guy with 10 now. And he makes this statement. He makes this statement. Listen to me. This is a really tough statement to swallow if you don't put it in context of the second coming of Christ. Because now you think 
Now you think God is being so unfair and he doesn't care about poor people and he doesn't care about anything and he just cares about people getting rich because you don't take it in the right context. So it says for to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, if you read that out of context, that sounds like God just wants rich people to get more rich and poor people to get more poor. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about us increasing our capacity for the return of the Savior. Now it makes sense. If I'm ready for his return, I'm going to get more. I'm going to inherit eternal life. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to have riches and glory the whole nine yards. I'm ready for the return of Jesus. I've been saved by his grace and washed in his blood and I've taken what he gave me and I increased my capacity and I can stand in front of him now and say, you're the one that forgave me and here's what I did with it. Or, or I can say, you're a mean God and I did nothing. It's in that context that the master says to who, him who has a lot more will be given and to him who has nothing, it'll be taken away. Church, we are here, but for a vapor, the Bible says, and I would love for this generation to handle it so well that when Jesus comes, we have no reservations. We just say, Lord, thank you for believing in me. Thank you for entrusting me. Thank you for giving me the treasures of the gospel. Here's what I did with them. Stand to your feet. I'm going to leave you this one last thing. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, ready? I think they could put that up there. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He prepared them in advance for us to do. Now, now here's the issue. I believe God has prepared works for you to do that require you to increase your capacity. The God of all creation knew what you started with, knew what he gave you to start with, knew all that thing. But in 10 years, he knows where he wants you to be. And so he's already planned for works that require us to increase our capacity to even see them. Not stay, not just do the same, do the same, do the same, do the same. Well, I don't know why God's not. No, he prepared good works in advance for you. So if I start here, then I know he's already went before me and prepared all this stuff. So my responsibility then to own the responsibility first, increase my capacity. So I get to the place where the good works show up that I'm supposed to be doing. And I go, Oh wait, I'm ready for this one today because he already planned for me. And he knew that I was responsible to increase my capacity. Amen. Now here's the problem. One last scripture and we're done. Here's the problem. If you don't own it, we end up showing up like this. Hebrews 5.11. Now Paul, now the writer of Hebrews was trying to explain a really, a really in-depth doctrinal teaching to this church. And he says this, about this we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. 
Huh? He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you still need somebody to teach you. Again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. See what the writer of Hebrews is saying? It's our responsibility to own the capacity increase. He, Paul, the writer of Hebrews wasn't blaming anybody else. He says, if you're still drinking milk, it's my fault. If I'm still drinking milk, it's my fault. I'm going to tell you something right now. I'd rather eat a prime rib any day than drink a glass of milk. Just me. Just me. So here's the deal with the church. We have to move beyond this idea of, well, that person got that and that person got that. I don't understand why God's not fair. I don't understand why he's not that. We got to move past that for learning into our capacity that he knows we can accomplish. And he says he will continue to entrust us over and over. But it's our responsibility. We're the only ones can do this. And so my prayer is that everybody here, everybody within the sound of this microphone would take ownership of the stewardship that God has given us and say, you know what, Lord, tomorrow I'm going to be better. And the day after that, I'm going to be better. And I'm going to practice this thing till I get it right. I'm going to practice this thing till I start eating meat every day. And we can give honor and glory to God as a generation who understood how his economy works. Amen. Come on, let's just lift our hands to him. Oh, what a savior. He is worth everything. Every opportunity. He is worth it today. He is risen. Come on, lift your voice, church. Sing to him this morning.